You're listening to the Jets Nation Podcast. I'm Cody Bueller, joined by my brother Kyle. Today on the show, we're talking NHL free agency, Connor Hellebuck in arbitration, and we'll be talking about special teams projecting the penalty kill. So it's been a little while for us. It took a little bit of a break. Glad to be back. I really liked your uh, tweet this morning. Yeah, so just to be clear, I was not the one taking those nice pictures of lakes. I was the one working every day, just waiting to podcast again. Yeah, no, I was on vacation. Got two weeks. Got to go east, see different parts of Canada. Got to head down into the States as well. Nice little two-week vacation. Hit some lakes, beaches. It was nice. I enjoyed it. But now back to hockey. And that whole time, I definitely was thinking about hockey, thinking about free agency. I know right at the beginning on holidays, I was checking my phone while we were out at this cabin and seeing, following the Jets free agency, talking to some relatives. We were at a cabin for that first weekend, and there was a lot of mixed reaction about the Winnipeg Jets free agents. And obviously, we podcasted right before free agency, and we talked about who the Jets should target. And I think Steve Mason was one that was kind of high on our radar. Yeah, we actually had, I think Brian Elliott was the number one um, kind of contender that we were looking at right before free agency. And there were rumors that he was looking for housing in Winnipeg. That's kind of what fueled all this um, debate. But there was just as many rumors for Steve Mason. Right. The Elliott rumors just came out a little bit earlier. So that was the initial pick. But then the Mason rumors came out and then we grabbed Mason instead of Elliott. So I think that was a fine pickup. Kind, kind of what of, we called. Yeah, we kind of saw it coming. It wasn't totally out of the blue or anything like that. So yeah, just a, a solid pickup for the Winnipeg Jets. And so this is one of those things though too where it appears that the fans and the critics that you hear on the radio and you often see on Twitter are kind of getting it right in the sense that it's what the Jets are doing. We talked about the Jets all off season that the Jets are going to need to bring in a veteran goalie who has some experience to kind of help along Hellebuck, sign him to about a two-year deal. And that's basically exactly what the Jets did. Yeah, it's nice when kind of the general fan base is on the same page with what the team is actually doing. Because we've seen for a few years where the fan base is calling for either left-handed defensemen or we need this or that. And and the Jets management is like on a whole different page. But we see this offseason specifically that kind of the general consensus was finally address the left-handed defenseman, finally address the goaltending, and that's about it. And that's exactly what the Winnipeg Jets management did and not much else. Well, no, exactly. And so then still on Steve Mason, uh, there's been different talk in it. And because obviously as a fan of the Winnipeg Jets, we follow them a lot closer than what maybe some national outlets would do. And so some national outlets, maybe not as big a fan or maybe they're out of Philadelphia. They're not a huge fan of Steve Mason. What are your thoughts on Mason? Is he the guy who's going to help the Jets? I think he will step in and help the Jets right away. He he is a, le- a legit NHL goaltender. We know that he is. He is. He's played. He's proven it. He's proven it for about the last seven or eight seasons. It is not the case of Michael Hutchinson where he, he played a little bit, had a good stretch, and he kind of bounces back and forth. Is he really good? Is he not? We don't even know right now if Michael Hutchinson is a legit NHL goaltender. He's shown us he can be. He shows us he can't be. We don't know. Well, Steve Mason, you know what you're going to get. He's he's 29. He's played nine seasons in the NHL. Exactly. He's had a career already, consistently an NHL goaltender. The only thing you might not really know is what his numbers are going to be. They fluctuate a lot. They go all the way from eight it's true. You're eight, right. 894 is his lowest season, and he has 928 as his highest season. But let's be real. They were pretty bad in Columbus that season, and maybe that was him. Maybe that was the team. 
But again, that was the 894 season. The next year, though, between Columbus and Philadelphia, he bounced back up to 916, and he stayed pretty consistent. And this last year was actually a down year for him. Yeah, my only issue is that his first year in the league as a rookie was really good, and then his second year in Columbus and subsequent years in Columbus were not good. He gets a trade, and then all of a sudden he's good again, and then he has a couple bad years in Philly, and then a good year again in Philly. I wouldn't know if he said he'd have bad years. In Philadelphia, the first season when it was Columbus-Philadelphia, he had 9-16. His next year was 9-17, then 9-27, then 9-17. I would say all of those are pretty consistent and pretty good goaltending. And then this last year was a little bit of a dip, which was 9-08, which was still better than all three of the Winnipeg Jets goaltenders. Yeah, so we see that he's an upgrade looking at those types of numbers. He's for sure an upgrade from last season, for sure an upgrade from Pavlik in years past. So I think the the biggest takeaway is that this is a for sure upgrade at the goaltending position. And then the, the thing always is, did the Jets pay too much? And I think they got him for around $4 million, right? Yeah, so he signed a two-year $4.1 million per season deal. And I think the most important thing here was the term because uh, the $4.1 million, it, it's okay for now. Maybe in two or three years down the road, it won't be okay anymore because the Jets have a lot of RFAs coming up in the next couple of years. But for right now, $4.1 million is fine. But the two years is the important thing because it gives time for Hellebuck to get two more years of experience. It gives Comrie another two years of, of development. I think this two years... I think was probably the hinging point at Brian Elliott not signing or signing the same deal. I think could be had they offered it to him, I think the two years would have would have been make it or break it. But Steve Mason kind of wants another shot to prove himself, and that's what probably why he took the two as opposed to somebody like Elliott looking for a longer stay. So now, what are the Winnipeg Jets? And we're just going to quickly wrap up here on Mason. What do they do as far as starts? I think it's going to be fairly even that they're both going to get maybe. Three starts for Mason, two starts for Hellebuck or some kind of thing like that, like that kind of ratio, three to two, not necessarily two to one or that kind of thing. But it's going to be kind of interesting to see what kind of balance, what kind of ratio they go. If all of a sudden Hellebuck looks much better, do they go with him for extended periods? If Mason's playing unreal and Hellebuck's struggling, do they go with that? Or do the guys get a certain schedule that they know and that they can rely on? I think it'll be the sim- similar to last year, which I don't necessarily like. Last year we saw a stretch of games. I think it was eight or nine games where it was one for Hellebuck, one for Hutchinson, and it was back and forth every game. I think almost ten game a ten game stretch near the start of the season, and neither goalie took it or ran with it. But neither goalie was getting more than one start. They couldn't get anything going. They couldn't get a feel for it. So I think I don't know if it's Paul Maurice or just the coaching in general. When you go alternating back and forth, sometimes it's hard for guys to get into rhythm. But I would say it's going to be similar to that in the sense it'll be, probably be like you said, three to two or four to two. But I think it'll be whoever's hot. If Hellebuck is a backup, plays well, gets a shutout, he's going to be starting the next game. If Mason's playing well, he's going to be starting the next game. It's not going to be, you see some backups, Grubauer backing up Holtby. If Grubauer gets a shutout, well, it doesn't matter. Holtby's right back in. Or, or different situations like that. I, I think it'll be whoever is playing better will be in the net. Yeah, but of course you don't want the other guy to get too cold either. Uh, but so we'll very it'll be very interesting to see. I think it will be the one A one B, and I don't know who's going to start as the one A. Probably Mason based on contract, and we'll see what Hellbuck gets. And let's let's uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Hellbuck and arbitration and uh, what that all entailed. But we want to get to the other signings for the Jets. Uh, they picked up 
A couple of other minor players, and let's quickly touch on those players first. Yeah, so I don't think any of these depth signings, you could say, will be making an impact in the NHL. Probably be going straight to the Moose. Um, we see uh, Scarbosa being signed, uh, Buddy Robinson. Cameron, I love the name. Great Cam- name. Cameron Schilling as well. So uh, uh, Kurt Schilling's brother. Just kidding, not. So quite a few depth players, which is great for the Moose. Gives them a little bit more competition, a little bit more... Um, just more pieces to work with. The Moose have not been great the last couple of years. Hopefully, That's this, an understatement. this helps, and hopefully they're starting to build a little bit better going forward. Well, it's going to be interesting to see because I know Niku's coming up, Pullman's coming up as prospects. Uh, with these guys coming in as kind of veteran, almost AHLers and guys who can play that role, it's good for the Jets to have those players. If the Moose is better, it gives more competition to the Jets' prospects just makes more competition overall and makes the team better, makes the whole system for the Jets better. So that's good. Glad those guys are in there. I don't really know much about any of them because they are basically AHL-level players with minor NHL experience. So really, when those guys are still thinking that they've got a shot maybe to crack the NHL lineup, it helps also push the border bubble guys for the Winnipeg Jets as well. Now, basically, we want to touch on the other free agent signing for the Jets, We were talking about in the podcast, and you'd kind of made the argument that the Jets didn't need a left-handed defenseman. You said that you were confident with Enstrom, Morrissey, and a combination of Sherratt, Niku, Pullman, etc. But the Jets obviously disagreeing with you, Kyle. They probably listened, and they said, Kyle, no, we don't agree with you. Uh, Kulikov, Dmitry Kulikov, signs a contract for the Winnipeg Jets. Three-year deal, and he's making, again, around $4 million a season. Yeah, so... There are aspects that I like about this deal, and there are aspects I really don't like about this deal. And, and you could tell that Jets fans are really divided. Tr- Twitter was was going off with guys on both sides saying they love it, guys saying they hate it, way too much money, all sorts of things going on. So we're just going to dissect it a little bit and, and go from there. All right, so what part... Let's start with what you like about this deal. Start with positive, or do we want to end with positive? <laughs> we can start with positive. It doesn't really matter. Okay, let's start with positive. So... I like that. Like I said about Steve Mason, he's an NHL player. Seven seasons in Florida, one season in Buffalo. He is not bouncing back and forth between the AHL and the NHL. He's been playing in the NHL for many seasons. He is an NHL player. The other thing I like, he's a former 14th overall pick. At least at one time, he's regarded as a as a good prospect. Yep. So, so he has that upper-end talent, at least in 2009, anyways, he did. So So that talent is there. My only issue, well, there's a few issues. We'll talk about the positives first. Positives I, have, first. I have quite a few issues, but but positives first. He's he's an NHL defenseman. He can step in right away. He can help the blue line. He he's not really young because the Jets, like you said, have a lot of young guys like Niku and Pullman. Morrissey's still young. Well, Truba's still young, but he he has experience. He's not old, so he's not on the declining side yet, as we see Hopefully. Enstrom. So I think it as Enstrom is. Looking like he's starting to decline, Kulikov's kind of taking his place maybe as that second pair defenseman. So right now when you look at dailyfaceoff.com, and I like to go there and they obviously don't know the line combinations yet, so they just kind of slapped something together. Uh, Josh Morrissey, Jacob Trouba on the top pairing, Kulikov and Bufflin on the second pairing, Enstrom Myers on the third. I really like that. I think that makes the Jets' defense look a lot more solid than what we've seen in years past, assuming everybody's healthy, and that's likely the way it's going to start, or some combination of that to start the season. Uh, but Kulikov's numbers over the last couple of years, la- yeah, last year was a down year in Buffalo. Uh, 
and obviously we don't want to talk plus minus, and Buffalo's a terrible team. Uh, his shot numbers, not so great in Buffalo last year either. I know that's something that uh, a lot of fans who are who like the enhanced stats, if you will, look to. Uh, that's Corsi, or it's called shooting percentage or whatever on NHL.com, but it's basically Corsi. Uh, when you look at those numbers for him over the last few seasons, uh, it was down last year in Buffalo at 44.97, and that's terrible. But obviously playing on a really bad Buffalo team, you're getting a lot of shots against. Uh, we see he his last year in Florida, it was at 47, so it was on the decline. But the years before that, uh, he had 51, 51, 50. And then he had 48 the year prior. His second season in the league, he had 51. So there was a stretch he was at even or above. A three-season stretch where his shooting metrics were to the positive. When you look at the hard numbers of actual points, he's not a guy who's going to get you a lot of points from the back end. No, so I, I was looking at the actual points and his last three full seasons... Uh, he put up 19, 22, and 17 points. So not high in the high teens, low 20s. Um, in his third year as a pro, he actually had 28 points in 58 games. And that was his his highest point total um, overall throughout the season. So, I mean, that's, that's not too bad. That's a point every other game. Over 82 games, that's around high 30 to 40 points, which isn't bad for a defenseman, especially if he's p- playing on the, on the second pair. I don't think we will see that. But the Jets are a high-scoring team, so maybe his point totals do get a little inflated compared to specifically playing in Buffalo last season. But we'll see going forward. I think he's not necessarily known for his offense, um, but he is a serviceable defenseman that can help out. Specifically, I'm hoping with a penalty kill, and uh, we'll maybe talk, touch on that a little bit later as well. Well, he's averaging over the last six seasons over 20 minutes a game, right around 21, upwards 22 minutes a game. So he's a guy who can play a lot of minutes. For the Winnipeg Jets. And so now looking at the negative side of things for you. Well, like I said, I have quite a few negative things to say. Not <laughs> necessarily about Kulikov in, in general, but some of them are. Specifically, you're, you're talking about his Corsi numbers before, and and they're not good. But playing in Buffalo, they're never good. So we're, we're looking a little bit now at relative Corsi. So that's pretty much relative to uh, the rest of the team. So it doesn't penalize for being on Buffalo, nor would it make you look so much better because everybody in um, LA has really good Corsi because they play for the Kings who are just a, a dominant shooting team. So looking at his relative numbers, they're actually not very good either. We see the last couple seasons are all in the negative. So he's actually relatively worse than his other defensemen on the team. You do also need to consider last year dealing with a back injury and that obviously hindered some of his numbers. It was a smaller sample size in Buffalo. And sometimes when you are playing through a back injury like that, your numbers just are worse because you are feeling the effects. Yep, for sure. But rather than just spitting out the raw Corsi numbers, looking at a little bit of the relative side of things, we're not huge into advanced stats, but we're learning. So a little bit of numbers for you there. Um, going into some of the other things I don't like, I don't like that $4.33 million per year. I think that's a bit of a stretch. People were saying Kulikov is is a comparable player to Patrick Wierkoc, who got signed for $650,000. That's a savings Ouch. of three and a, oh, $3.6, $3.7 million we could be saving for almost the exact same defenseman. But see, my thing is the money doesn't become a factor until you're at the cap. Like right now, it doesn't matter. And even if the Jets, if the Jets aren't at the cap in the next three years, it doesn't matter. Right. And I agree, but the Jets could be close in three years. Exactly, because once all of these RFAs come 
So they need new contracts. And I was looking at that, and specifically next year, the RFA class is Ehlers, Lowry, Armia, Patan, Dano, Tanev again because he just signed one year. We also have Josh Morrissey and Truba and Pullman on the back end, plus All Eric Comrie. Year? All next year. Yikes. And we have, for good measure, Kulikov signed for two years after that. Wonderful. So, but, so then the real thing is, is you have Kulikov's deal and all of these guys who are coming up, a lot of those guys you named aren't going to get a lot. Patan's probably not going to get a lot. Dano's probably not going to get a lot. Lowry probably won't get tons of money either, not break the bank kind of money. I think the only ones you really need to be worried about is Ehlers, Morrissey, and Truba. Right. So assuming we sign, my only issue is this, our defensemen are getting very expensive. Quite. The nice thing is Enstrom comes off the books next year. he got one year left on his deal, so that's a good thing. But Morrissey's in for a big raise. Truba's in for literally whatever he asks for, virtually. Yep. He should be upwards of Bufflin, but his comparables are slightly less. So we'll see where that ends up, depending on when he signs or if he signs or what he wants. That's a whole different podcast. But my only issue is another $4.3 million when we don't even know if he's a second or third pairing guy yet. If he is third pairing, $4.3 is a lot. We were seeing in free agency, Kevin Shattenkirk, the top of the class, only went for 6.6. It's true. That's only $2 million more for a number one defenseman on a team, and we're paying a number five defenseman $2 million well, less. to be fair, Shattenkirk was what? He was a number five in St. Louis, wasn't he? In St. Louis, they had a lot of defensemen ahead of Kevin Shattenkirk. And even in Washington, he was not their number one guy. Maybe he'll be one of the top guys in New York, but if you look at where Shattenkirk was before, he wasn't a number one defenseman. There was a lot of guys ahead of him on the depth chart in St. Louis, which is why they were able to trade him. And a lot of people look at him as kind of just an offensive specialist, and they have some other concerns about his game. And so a guy who has concerns about his game and has looked at just his offense getting six point whatever, I don't know. I don't mind this Kulikov signing. I trust the Jets know more about this and more about the person than I do and that they know what they're doing in that sense. I'm excited to see them realizing that they need help on the defense and trying to do something about it. Yeah, so uh, it, all in all, it is fine. There's a couple other negatives I'd like to point out. Um, specifically, you talked about the back injury. I don't want another Grant Klitsum situation where he yeah. just ends up... Or even Myers has been really... Right, so just ends up, well, in Klitsum's case, ending up just retiring. In Myers' case, while well, playing 10 games a season. And yeah, he had other stuff going on, personal issues, but he's also recovering from injury after injury. I don't want to see him turning into another long-term injured project. So here's the question. When is Tyler Myers' contract off the books? I think he has two years left. So he's got two years left. So the third year of this deal of Kulikov, Myers' contract might be off the books already by then too. So Myers will be off the books, Enstrom will be off the books, and so then the four defensemen for the Jets will be Kulikov, Bufflin, Morrissey, Truba as the four bigger, expensive, more expensive defensemen, and then the bottom pairing likely cheaper by the third year. Right, hopefully we can find some depth options cheaper than $4.3 million in, in the future going forward. For now, it's not the end of the world because we have the space, but going forward, it could be an issue down the road. Um, but, but if he's playing really well, then it's not an issue. Right, exactly. Also looking at Kulikov, he is, um, his penalty taking is a big issue. 
Which is a big issue for the Jets Which already. is an even bigger issue for the Winnipeg Jets in general. So you take a guy who likes to take penalties, specifically bring him into the team that takes the most penalties. Not a good combination, in my opinion. Um, we see, well, Dustin Bufflin has an outrageous amount of penalty minutes. Um, but if you plugged in last season's numbers or a couple of years ago, Kulikov's numbers are right there with second and third on the team for the Jets on on penalties. So not a good sign for a team that's already shorthanded and needs penalty killers being in the box won't help in that situation either. So it's going to be interesting just uh, how much they use him, how he can come in, and hopefully he can have a bounce-back season and be an important contributor for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, obviously a little bit more promising with these, these added defensemen. Not much happening up front, but again, just players getting older. I think the Jets are covered, and there wasn't really any real call for a certain player for the Winnipeg Jets, and I think at this point they're done with free agency. Is there anything else you want to highlight with free agency? Yarmer Yager coming to Winnipeg, maybe? Yeah, we put that out a couple of weeks ago on Jets Nation, seeing what people would think. And I mean, he's still got something left in the tank, maybe, but not a fit for Winnipeg, in my opinion. Um, we see also Andrew Kopp signing. Uh, two years, $2 million total. So $1.1 million, one year, 900000 I think, flip-flopped. Um, we see Brandon Tanev also signing as well, $700,000. It's a one-way deal, so he can't be sent down. Well, he can, but through waivers. Um, so just a little interesting thing to note with Tanev, it's only a one-year deal, cop two-year deal, and those are some of the other free agent signings going on. All right, so next up, we want to get to arbitration for Connor Hellebuck. Connor Hellebuck, an RFA for the Winnipeg Jets, and one of the only RFAs still without a deal. Yeah, he's actually the only RFA for Winnipeg without a deal still. We see um, the Jets making deals with the other guys who are um, potentially filing for arbitration. Um, 95% of the time, people who file for arbitration end up signing a deal before it gets to that point. Um, Hellebuck hasn't signed that yet, so we're still kind of waiting and watching, but I don't think anybody's really holding their breath or really worried about what's going to happen. I think it'll all fall into place fairly shortly. I hope it doesn't go to arbitration. I think that arbitration would not be good for Connor Hellebuck. I think that because I've heard stories about how in arbitration, the team points out all of the weaknesses of the goaltender so they can sign him for cheaper. The goaltender tries to point out all of his positive attributes. And sometimes there can be animosity when you're really critiquing a player in front of them. And I think for Connor Hellebuck, who kind of knows he had not the greatest season last year, and we kind of saw different times and different stretches where he was relied upon so heavily, and there was a lot of talk about his confidence, and he even talked about his confidence at times where he just sometimes needed a break, and I don't think you want to get into his head. As the Winnipeg Jets, don't get into his head. Just sign him to a deal. Yeah, like you said, it can kind of be a nasty business from what I've I've heard in the past is that, like you said, pointing out the flaws and uh, the player trying to point out his, his good attributes. It can be an interesting um, contrasting time between the player and the team. Um, and I totally agree. I don't know if we want that specifically with a goaltender and specifically with Hellebach going forward, especially when he's still supposed to be taking the reins going forward. Um, I hope it doesn't come to that. I, I don't think it will. I think he will sign a deal. I think they will come to some sort of agreement, but just something to watch going forward throughout the summer. All right, so last up on the Jets Nation podcast and something we kind of want to do through the summer, uh, we're probably going to go every other week kind of just heading up to training camp, or at least that's kind of the plan for now. We'll see how it goes. Maybe even take three weeks off because right now there's not a lot happening. There's basically just a ton of speculation going on right now, and that's really all we can do. But it's kind of nice because when you listen to TSN 1290, or that's what we do a lot here in Manitoba, and we hear Jets news throughout the summer, but really, 
I'm sick of hearing about golf. I'm sick of hearing about baseball. I'm ready for, well, I like football. So I'm looking forward to more Bombers, more NFL, and more Jets talk that actually means something again. And so we're going to hopefully give you an opportunity to listen to some Jets talk throughout the summer months because, yeah, sometimes we want to just speculate in the middle of August. So uh, right now we're going to speculate about the penalty kill for the Winnipeg Jets, what it could look like, and what we would like to see this next year. Kyle? Yeah, so just a, a quick note on who we want on our power play. Um, our top two power pl- or sorry. So we're just going to talk special teams or we're going to talk... Sp- we'll just talk penalty kill today. We'll go into in-depth on the power play um, maybe next time, but today we'll just talk about penalty kill. Um, so I'm specifically wanting... I'm a big believer that you want your best players playing on the penalty kill. And they were talking about this on TSN 1290 actually this morning. That's what kind of gave me the idea. I'm of the idea that you want your best players killing penalties. We've seen what happens when you put Thorburn on the ice, when you put Stewart on the ice, it ends up in the back of your net. When you put guys like Wheeler and Little and Perot, when you put those good players, it tends to look better. And there's actually a really interesting article on Jets Nation. If you go back about a week, um, it was posted uh, talking about the Winnipeg Jets penalties and the types of penalties they take. I know we've talked about it on the podcast last year, but a really good really good article. You should go check it out. It talks about the type of penalties each player is taking and uh, how many goals result from the penalties that those guys took. Yeah, and I kind of just read some of the research and I read a little bit about that. I am not sure if I'm completely with you when it comes to your best players on the ice during a penalty kill. I think your best penalty killers should be on the ice during the penalty kill. Your best power play players should be on the power play. And then the rest get a fairly good rotation through. But I think that when you have your top two line players playing on penalty kill, well, then it tires them out when they're not even going to be scoring anyway. Like, I don't want Mark Shifley burning tons of energy when he's not going to be in the offensive zone or Patrick Line or Ehlers. These are guys who can who are going to score for you, but if they're hemmed in their own zone on the penalty kill, how is that helping those players and how is that helping the Jets? Get your best penalty killers on the ice when it's on the penalty kill, and hopefully the best penalty killers are guys who can play bottom six so that they do get ice time and it allows the best players to rest. See, and I think the problem is that in my opinion, the best penalty killers are the best players. I think Wheeler is a fantastic penalty killer. He's fast. He's hard on the puck. He gets in people's way. He gets it like he's constantly stick checking. Great penalty killer. Matthew Pearl, the same way, just has a knack for knocking down pucks, has a knack for getting his stick in the lane. Those are those skilled guys that also you want on your power play, but because they're just good players. So the best players in general at five on a five, not always are the best penalty killers, but a lot of times they are your best penalty killers. They are your best power play specialists. They're they're good at everything. So specifically, I'm going to say I want my my top penalty kill line to be uh, Little and Wheeler with uh, Truba and Morrissey. Okay. And I want my second pairing to be Matthew Perot and Joel Armia. And I want Kulikov and uh, Myers on the... Uh, defense. So those are my eight players I want killing penalties at all times and hopefully nobody else. I get that and I get what you're saying and I don't mind Little and Wheeler killing penalties. I think though too when you're in when you're killing penalties, power plays like to get shots from the point. 
And if you're killing a penalty, guess what? You're in the shooting lane. Why are we putting Blake Wheeler in the line of fire for tons of shots, like a shooting gallery? Why is Blake Wheeler taking a ton of pucks? I don't want Blake Wheeler breaking his hand, killing a penalty. Because if you're in your own zone, killing a penalty, it's more likely you're going to be blocking shots just because of the sheer fact somebody could hit you. Why wouldn't you want Adam Lowry killing penalties? Sean Mathias. And yeah, Joel Armia, Marco Dano, those guys, if they are in your bottom six, those guys, in my opinion, are the guys should be out there killing penalties. I'm hoping that Mathias will probably still be on the team. And I know Armia is a good penalty killer. So yeah, put Armia on the penalty kill. Dano, I'd like to see him on the penalty kill if he makes this team. If Andrew Kopp is in the lineup, why why shouldn't he be killing penalties? Those types of guys say your, your responsibility, defense. Do it. Yeah, and I get that, but the Jets are just so bad defensively. And it, it's not just a one-year problem. It's been the problem for every year since they've been back. Their defense is outrageously bad. They take a lot of penalties. They have the worst penalty kill in the league. Happens every single season. And you look how they kill penalties. You put the depth guys out there who are defensive-minded, they get scored on. Oh, well, it happens. Well, no, it shouldn't. If you want your best penalty-killing unit... Make it with your best players. That's my opinion going forward. Yeah. With your best penalty kill players. Right. And I think that will be your best players. I think Wheeler is the best penalty killer on the Winnipeg Jets by the style he plays. Yeah, he might be taking a couple more pucks. Over the course of a season, maybe he takes 20 more pucks than he would. Maybe he takes 200 instead of 180 pucks shot at him. I don't know what the numbers are. Probably not that much over the course of the season. A slightly higher chance of injury maybe, but in my opinion, you have to go with the skill on the penalty killer. Get those guys in the game more, especially if you're going to keep taking penalties. Get them into the game more. Get them playing. I think, yeah, I think there needs to be a balance. You want to keep them in the game and involved and not just sitting on the bench for like 10 minutes a period because of penalties or whatever it is or however much. But you do. I think you need to keep a balance. I think you definitely should not be afraid to put in a few fourth liners if they're comparable defensively. But again, we've gone on enough. This podcast is getting long already, and we're pretty much going to wrap it up there. We're going to look at the power play as well before we get to, uh, hopefully before we get to fall, and hopefully a few other topics as well. If you have anything you want us to talk about, hit us up on Twitter at Jets and Podcast. Find all of the Jets Nation podcasts at JetsNation.ca.